Hey everybody, Fran Frischella here and welcome to World of Basketball, the podcast that shrinks the basketball globe for you and takes you around the world. We've been just about everywhere, six continents so far, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying what we're doing. And if you are, subscribe to us on the uh, on the Apple podcast or download the SiriusXM app and uh, you can go back and listen to many, if not all, of the first 52 World of Basketball podcast. Today, we've got a very special treat, uh, a guy that uh, had a great college career at the University of Kansas, Keith Langford, who at 37 is one of the best players to play in Europe over the last 15 or so years, uh, a terrific EuroLeague star, first team all EuroLeague, two-time leading scorer in the EuroLeague. It's called the Alfonso Ford Award named after a, an American, Alfonso Ford, who tragically passed away uh, a number of years ago. And it, it's in his honor that Keith Lankford is the two-time leading scorer in the EuroLeague. It's a very interesting podcast today because, yes, we talk about Kansas basketball and Roy Williams and Bill Self, but he really takes you inside the world of a European player, an American, especially when it comes to playing in some unique places with unique payment systems, I would say. I know some of you are wondering, like, how do these guys make their money? Uh, what happens when they're not paid on time? Uh, playing in places like Russia and Greece, among other places. You will really get honest uh, insight uh, from Keith Langford today, and I really hope you enjoy it. Uh, I, I certainly enjoyed it as one of my favorite podcasts we've recorded so far. Uh, my my man Chris Tyler, my producer and cohort, uh, joins me quickly as um, we set up this uh, podcast, Chris. But uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought Keith uh, a couple of amazing stories about, especially the one about being paid in Russia. I think people will enjoy. Yeah, we love hearing those stories about the crazy things that has happened to uh, <laughs> to players in Russia. We heard from Robbie Hummel a couple of months yes. ago about his experiences in Russia. We heard from Lauren Jackson about her experiences in Russia. It sounds like no other place on the basketball planet. It sounds well, they get so paid unfair. well. Absolutely, yeah. dude. That's, that's the good yeah. thing about it. They get paid well and they get paid on time. So that that's, that's a lot to be said about uh, how important Russian basketball is and how rich these owners are. But yeah. some of these stories, man, is just, it's, it's so funny. Yeah, we, I think people will enjoy it. Hey, just a couple pieces of news. Um, uh, Serbia will be trying to qualify. There's four spots left in the Olympics, and there will be qualifying tournaments in Victoria, Canada, Canada obviously hosting, uh, Konis, Lithuania, uh, Belgrade, and uh, and there's one in, in in Croatia. I believe it's in Zagreb, but I'm not exactly sure. Or maybe split. I think it is split. Now that I think about it, um, four qualifying tournaments left. Uh, so there's still four spots in the Olympics. And the news is coming down that Nikola Jokic will not participate for Serbia in the qualifying tournament in Belgrade, and likely not Bogdan Bogdanovic, who's still playing for the Atlanta Hawks. What this simply means is that Serbia which has a, a fairly extensive roster, but they don't have the MVP now, the NBA, is going to attempt to qualify without arguably their two best players. Now, they can do it. It's a home tournament for them in Belgrade. And if they do win the Olympic qualifying tournament in Belgrade, Jokic and Bogdanovic can be added to the roster for the Olympics. Both of those guys have had long seasons, really a season and a half of basketball. So uh, my sense is that if Serbia wins their Olympic qualifying tournament, that I, I still think we may see the two best players from Serbia. Um, Greece is dealing with it now. As they go to uh, Canada in a couple weeks without uh, the Greek freak, it looks like. Uh, Croatia without Bojan Bogdanovic, who's still playing with the Utah Jazz. Uh, uh, you know, France is already in, so Rudy, Rudy Gobert doesn't have to worry about that. France starts their training camp this coming Monday. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out as we get ready for the Olympic Games, Chris, because I know you like me saying this, but uh, Australia, I believe, is a real threat to Team USA, assuming Joe Ingles uh, plays, which we think he will. 
But Serbia now, the question mark is, can they win their Olympic qualifying tournament without their two best players? So we, get, we need to keep an eye on that in the next couple of weeks. For sure. It's going to be an exciting next couple of months in terms of uh, global basketball and seeing which teams qualify, which teams don't. But you were talking about the Australian team before. Not only are you excited about this team, I think most of Australia are very excited about this team as well because when we had Brian Gorgian on last week, head coach of the Boomers, that was a very, very popular episode. We had a lot of people reach out to us saying how much they love the episode. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and check it out. He gives you a really good breakdown on you know, why this team has such great chemistry, why they play the way they do with such toughness and grit. It was really, really good. He, he, loves, he loves to talk, doesn't he, Brian Gorgian? Yeah, well, he was great, man. <laughs> he, he, he had great insight, and we did get a lot of positive uh, comments. Say hey, one last thing before we bring you Keith Langford. Um, USA Basketball was announced yesterday. Damian Willard and Draymond Green have put their hands up and said, yes, we are going to uh, – Play in the on the Olympic team. Uh, they're locks, obviously. They will. They'll be at tryouts uh, or or training camp in early July. Also, late last night, I believe Jason Tatum said he's in. So that's a good start for Team USA. Uh, it's an important start because, as we said, uh, the competition has really grown tight, as evidenced by the 2019 World uh, Championships uh, in uh, China. And so good news for USA uh, and probably more good news coming up. Hey, uh, without further ado, you will really enjoy this podcast with former Kansas Jayhawk and still going strong at 37 European star Keith Lankford. Keith, first of all, congratulations. Great news. You are now a University of Kansas graduate. How's that feel? It feels extremely great, and it feels even better because it almost felt like a walk of shame <laughs> 16 years ago when I walked down with my with my classmates and knew that I had finished. But it's an extreme weight off my shoulders after all this time. I know my our guy Scott back in uh, in in Lawrence, Doctor. Yes, Scott. yes. Uh, yes. I'm sure he was involved with this, right? Of, of course, of course, he was involved. So, uh, <laughs> Scott was involved 10 years ago. He, he's been trying to get me to do this for years and years and years. So. Special shout out to him. And, and the first thing he did after I graduated was send me a congratulations and offer me a job. So, oh man, I'm, <laughs> well, listen, he's a great guy. that job's going to have to wait because what people are going to find out is you've had an amazing basketball career. And because uh, you know how much I love international hoops. So I've been following you this yes. whole time, but yeah. you're going to get into it. Let me ask you this. Um, just give us a sense. A lot of people who listen to World of Basketball love learning about basketball around the world. They remember you as a great college player. You've made an amazing career out of this. What's it like for an American to go to Europe and have a long career? What's that take? Okay, so the, the short answer um, to that would be having two feet in. And I think what happens a lot of the times is when we come from the States, uh, the American players I'm talking about, where we still have one foot in America, where we're keeping up with all of the injuries, all the transactions, all the stats, trying to, you know, stay in tune social media-wise and all those things. But the guys that have done it at the highest level, you mentioned to me earlier that you had a Kyle Hines um, on your podcast. And, you know, especially when you see guys like Malcolm Delaney, who he came over three or four years, had his had two feet in, and then went back to the NBA and, and chased his dream. So um, saying all that to say that the guys that I see are the most successful, they come to Europe and they're focused on Europe day in, day out. Um and that's really how the journey starts. Got it. All right. Well, let's go back to your journey. I remember you as a high school player in Fort Worth, uh, and then the next thing you know, I'm at ESPN. You're you're at the, you're playing for the University of Kansas. You had an amazing career. So let's just start off uh, playing playing for Roy Williams, getting recruited by Roy Williams, and then of course going on and watching his incredible Hall of Fame career. Why did you choose Kansas, and why Coach Williams? Okay, so I initially didn't choose. Coach Williams. Um, I chose Coach Barnes at uh, Ole Miss University. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, committed as a junior in high school. Um, they were the first high major uh, – well, I mean, yeah, high major conference um, to uh, to uh, give me a letter and recruit me actively. And so I said yes to him. And what ended up happening is um, I played AAU, Team Texas, got invited to Nike camp. Um, and by the time Nike camp was over – uh, Kansas, Cincinnati, Arizona, OU, you know, those have started to draw interest. And so uh, when Kansas popped up, it, it really 
changed everything, changed everything from my high school coach to my family and even myself. It was just a school that was very prestigious and still in proximity of where I was from. Yeah. And, and playing for Coach Williams, what was that experience like? Ah, so, okay. And, co- and Coach, you know, Coach Williams is it's amazing um, because I was his fifth choice. Um, not not because he saw me and put me fifth, but a lot of people don't understand that uh, for me to be able to go to Kansas, um, Deshaun Stevenson had to go straight from high school. Josh Childress said no and went to Stanford. Uh, Allen Anderson said no and went to Michigan State. Chuck Hayes said no and went to Kentucky. Daniel Ewing said no and went to Duke. And so they were left needing a wing, um, you know, for that class. And fortunately, uh, he called me late in the summer and, you know, it was very honorable about the recruiting process. He told me that um, he wouldn't recruit me unless I decommitted uh, from um, from my commitment to Ole Miss. And, you know, with those kind of schools involved, and I wasn't a guy that was highly recruited in the beginning. And so once things started to pick up, I wanted to give myself a chance and see how good I, I really was. And so um, Coach Williams handled everything honorably. And, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things you had me at hello. You know, the the, the thing that sold itself. You know, I was – I was a fan of Kansas watching Jock Vaughn and Paul Pierce in those T-shirts. You know, like it was it was amazing for me. So it came full circle. So you played in that 2003 Final Four amazing game against Syracuse. You were out there. Ama- amazing game. Uh, I know you don't want to hear the name of Hakeem Warwick. But <laughs> <laughs> that's not the that's not the name that bothers me, though, friend. No, I, no, it is the it is the guy from Scranton, Pennsylvania, who. Who bothers me more than anybody, and that's Jerry McNamara. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I, I correct everyone who wants to talk about the Syracuse game. I always say this guy six threes in the first half. He he yeah. just settled Syracuse, and, and they and they took off from there, man. Yeah, that was amazing. And then you, you know, when I first got to know you for real, you had a coaching change, and Bill Self came in. And what I remember about that is Bill Self was a little different than. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And it wasn't, yes. you know, because Kansas fans may forget, but it wasn't smooth at the beginning. Just just talk about that transition to Coach Self. Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, wh- wh- where do I start? Um, you know, Coach Self, the, the thing that, about Coach Self is he, he's very charismatic and, you know, he has his personality. He'll draw you in for five minutes, you know, and, and you'll feel right at home. But he, he kind of put that magic, that mojo on us. And when we got out, you know, on the court, it was, uh, you know, one of the first things he said was, Coach Williams wants you to take the ball out of the net and go. I don't want the ball to ever go in the rim. You know, so right away we were, we were woken up and, you know, oh, this is, this is different. So from there, he, he set the tone. I mean, from help practices with helmets and football, uh, football pads, I mean, we did it all. <laughs> who's, who's tougher, Bill Self or 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 some of the Serbian coaches you've been around? Uh, you know what? I I don't know if uh, if if Self is as tough as those guys because those guys are tough off the court as well. Like I, I won't even speak English to you. That's that's how that's how ugly they can get sometimes. So Coach Self's a little bit better than than the hardest hardest hitting Serbian. Got it. Got it. It's good to know. That's good to know. All right. So you have this fabulous career. You end up. I think you're still April. All, eighth all-time in scoring. So the NBA is in your head. I know every guy who plays at the level you played. Um, give me your thought process. You now, This is crazy because I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. You played two NBA games. I mean, you yes, really I did. You, you can, I mean, you <laughs> I can did. stay. I did. I got you. Yeah, right, right, right. I, you know, I, I say that. I, I say that like I'm, I'm in the books. You know, I, yeah. I don't like to talk about the books, but I'm in there. <laughs> okay, so you know the, your dream. You have a great career. Your dream is you know NBA basketball. You're close. And by the way, many times throughout your European career, the word was, "Well, maybe Keith Langford's coming back to the league," much like Malcolm Delaney. So, talk about the beginning of the journey. The G, you know that uh, what was the D League, the NBA. You know, the early part of your pro career and the things you had to navigate in your head. Well, see, so so here's the thing. I, I think a lot of guys, um, they have the mentality of professional players. Like they go into college wanting to be pros and they're, they have a, a tunnel vision on the, the objective, right? So, but for me, there's, there's, and there's a lot of guys like me who just uh, college basketball is the next step. And so what do I mean by that? I mean, like you're the best players in high school, you play varsity, you get offered a scholarship, but your mind is never really thinking I'm going to do this for a living. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I'm a professional. And the guys who grasp that concept quicker 
um, they they tend to achieve their goals and, and, and get there faster. So with me, uh, honestly, what happened, uh, you know, make a, a long story as short as possible. After my sophomore year, the year that uh, we spoke about losing to Syracuse, I actually thought about entering the draft. Um, Aaron Miles and, and the guys in my class convinced me to come back. We're going to do this one more year. Let's win it. We had got the bad back, back-to-back Final Fours. Felt we were close. And then the next year we go and I get hurt. And then it begins the cycle of knee surgeries for me. Three surgeries in, in 10 months. Um, fast forward, I don't – we don't have the best finish, as, you know, college basketball historians know with the Bucknell loss. And so I'm at the end of my career, and I didn't finish it well. And the the mindset at that point, and I lost a lot of confidence in that photo. So the mindset for me was, you know, I want to be in the NBA, but, you know, I'll I'll do what I have to. I'll just take the next step. And then so when I didn't get drafted, um, I automatically went to uh, automatically went to the D League, as you said, played the forward flyers, kind of worked the whole uh, chipping circuit, as I like to call it. And um, I got a phone call. At one point, um, I was just coming from uh, pickup playing with the uh, Mavericks. And um, uh, I get a phone call about going to second division Italy. Um, and at the time, I had, it was second division Italy, but I also had an offer to go to a higher level job in Germany. Um, talked to the coach who turned out to be Andrea Trinquier, who also discovered Kyle Hines and brought him over. So I don't believe we had that conversation. And uh, finally, my agent talked me into it. He said, Keith, go over here. And uh, he was like, if you don't, if you really want to play in the NBA, you can always come back. But if you go overseas, at least you can say, I did it for one year. I tried, made some money, and I came home. And I went over there, and automatically I started to realize, oh, I can do this. Oh, this is what I want to do. I'm really into this. How how can I get better? How, how can I go? And once I, like I said earlier, put two feet in and changed my mentality and started to look at it that way, it, it really did take off. So this was after you had already spent a little time with the Spurs, right? Yes. Okay. So right. Okay. So that's so this is what happens. Oh, and you and you mentioned um about coming back over and playing. So um I went overseas and I I did exactly as my agent said. I wanted to come back. Um I came back and I was I live in Austin, so I'm playing pickup with the Spurs and kind of working out, trying to get a feel and you know, see how things are gonna go. And uh, played well enough to where they offered me, uh, you know, a training camp invite. So at that point in time, I had a choice between a job in Europe and training camp invite. Uh, wanted to give the NBA one more shot. Uh, went, uh, didn't make the team, but ended up going to the Toros. Ended up getting up to the Spurs, spending my – actually, I was there for six games. I played in two. So right, let's, let's right. get – I want to set the <laughs> set the okay. I got six under my belt. Right, right. So, but, um, okay. And so finally, you know, Popovich sits me down. Um, at the deadline in January, and he says, uh, he's like, Keith, you're a really good player. And he was like, uh, but I got to cut you. And, you know, we're uh, on the road in Los Angeles uh, about to play the Clippers. And I'm asking, I'm like, you know, and the, the beautiful thing about it, man, you know, he explained it to me, um, told me that, you know, they needed a veteran presence. They wanted to sign Dan Stoudemire. They thought that he would help the team going forward a little bit better and, you know, kind of gave me some things to work on and things like that. So I took that information. And then um, I, after accomplishing my goal and kind of getting the mental block out of there, went overseas, things take off. Um, and so probably around the time I was 30, 29, 30, um, things had gotten really, really good overseas. And I was playing really, really well. Um, right, one, of, one of the five, one of the five or 10 best players for about a five-year stretch, easily. And um, so what's, what started happening, I told a teammate of mine uh, just recently, his name is Daryl Macon, really talented player, played at Arkansas. Um, yeah, play, play with the Mavericks. I told him, exactly, yes. Yeah. So I said, Here, here's the thing about Europe that a lot of guys don't understand. You can play so well that you can put yourself into a bad position. So what do I mean by that? Like uh, a kid like Daryl Macon, he wants to play in the NBA but he's come to Europe to get some money and he's played so well that now a EuroLeague team offers you 750,000. Uh, another one offers you 850, but you want to go to the NBA. So now it's how much, you know, money is putting my NBA dream on hold. And I told him the guys that have done it, they've turned down the money and went. So my, I was just telling him, look, you have to have a number in your mind that, that sets you apart on both sides. If, if they can reach that number, I'm here. If they can reach that number, I'm there. And then once you make the decision, cut it off and go forward. 
Um, I had a situation with Philadelphia where uh, it was a, a partial, I mean, I'll just be transparent, partial guarantee situation. And I was, I was already into high seven figures, um, making about um, close to $2 million a year. So at that point I couldn't, I couldn't put it on hold to, even though as bad as I wanted to, I, I just, I kept focused on where I was. As you became a really good player, did you have to get that out of your mind? Like when you're in your mid twenties and you're starting to hit stride and, you know, in, in Bologna and Kimke, is it just a simple business decision? How do you say no NBA, I'm going to keep kicking ass over here, making my money and being one of the best players in, in, in Europe, really? Right. Right. So I, I think, you know, the, for me, I would say those things kind of took care of themselves. Um, like the decisions were pretty easy. You know, it was, uh, do you be the, are you the, the franchise player um, for a team in Euroleague making uh, income that in the, in the NBA, if they offered you the same amount of money you know, after taxes, you know, you'll be making, you know, a lot less. So I, I was just in a position where Europe always made the most sense. It, it always made the most sense. And so I kept finding that scenario on the scales and, I just was a guy that was never willing to, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I was a guy that after it got to a certain level for me, I was never willing to go to summer league. I was never willing to go to a free agent camp. And that's, but that's really the route. Sometimes you have to take like PJ Tucker, for example, was out of the league. He's, he's in Russia. I played against him for multiple years. And then finally he says, I'm going to summer league and boom, you know, with Phoenix. And now he's, he's guarding Kevin Durant. And, you know, and it's just, it's, it, it can really happen that way, but it's, if you want to put it on the line, that's when it tends to happen. Right. All right. So you, when you go to Italy, you mentioned uh, Coach Pinkieri, who's, for those listening, uh, those of us who love basketball, love coaching, love European basketball, he's one of the great coaches in Europe. And so what what does a great coach like that do for your confidence when you get over there? So one, one thing is that the European, especially at that time, because European basketball in, in 06, 07 is, even a lot different than, than what people see today. So at that time, it was, I need to make sure you understand how to play this game here. And and I was fortunate enough because Coach was was able to see ahead and um, really, like, let me make mistakes. And, uh, and that's why it's so important to choose the correct job when you come to Europe for the first time. Because if you don't go to a place where you're allowed to learn the game, learn the – just a little intrinsic, like, you know, style of play type things, like how to, the diff, there's different angles than there are on the stage. There's, there's a different pace and uh, different, like, different set of calls that the referees acknowledge and recognize. So a lot of guys get here and they don't understand it. I'll give you a quick story. Uh, Sean Kilpatrick, great, great, yeah. talented college player. Yeah. Had a great yeah. run yeah. in the NBA. Yes. Sean, um, at one point, came over and we were playing on a team together. And so, you know, I told Sean, we were, we were about to play a team, uh, maybe you'll know the name, uh, Zalgiris of course. from Lithuania. Yeah. I know. And man, like anybody from Europe knows you cannot play around with the Lithuanians. Like you have to bring <laughs> your, your, you know, that lunch pail yeah. and your hard hat yeah. when you play against these guys. And so, but if you're a guy that's never been in Europe before, Sean Kipatrick comes over, we're watching film and, uh, and, uh, you know, Zagir's looks like a bunch of white guys, you know, <laughs> you know like it doesn't look like anything. But exactly. You know, like I tell Sean to uh, no, you have to play these guys the exact same way that you would play those games you were playing in the NBA. And so uh, I'm watching the game. I'm at home and I'm watching the game because they were on the road. And sure enough, man, like Sean goes in there. He's trying to get those lead calls and the pump fakes <laughs> and the, those types of things. And. He's not getting any of them. And as soon as the game is over with, we ended, they ended up losing again. As soon as the game's over, he's texting me. He's like, bro, come on. We got to work on this. We need to blah, blah, blah. Like, he's like, oh, this is unbelievable. I can't believe it. And so, I mean, but he, he eventually he caught on and learned the rhythm. But there's one thing that's imperative, imperative for guys when they're coming over here. They have to learn and do those things. So, and that's what I was able to do. And having Europe pretty much under my belt, I was able to go to the next phase, which was Sergio Scariola. Then David Black. I mean, so I, I, you know, I've had a nice run of of coaches uh, since I've been over here. Yeah, you have a couple of friends of mine too. I just was with Sergio a few weeks ago. Uh, when one thing I noticed about you as you got cooking is, and I saw you obviously in high school and college, but your confidence level. 
I mean, you, you just got to a point where you were really unguardable from from, and you still you're still getting buckets. Let's let's get this straight. You're 37. You're still scoring. Right, right, right. But yeah. you had that you had that like I don't know, ten, eight, nine, ten years where you were just pretty much unguardable. How did that confidence, Matt? How did that confidence develop? Okay, so um, a lot of times, you know, I, you know, I was always working hard and and playing my best. But I met a guy, Jr. Holden, uh, who now is the uh, the head of uh, international scouting for the Nets. And, uh, but at the time he was playing in Moscow and I was playing in Moscow as well. And, uh, and this guy, man, like he was one of the first people I heard of when I arrived in Europe and then to be playing against them. And, you know, you know, and literally after a game one time, I was in Russia, my first year in Russia, I hadn't cut my hair. I couldn't find a barber. My beard was going crazy. And after the game in the layup line, he's like, Give me your phone number. We're going to get you a haircut. And, you know, from there, um, you know, he introduced me. Uh, he started mentoring me and then introduced me to what he did to be so successful. And this is a guy who played in the Olympics with Russia. And uh, he's uh, consensus one of the best Americans to ever play in Europe. He also won the Euro basket uh, with, with Russia, beat Spain. So this guy, he gave me the, he gave me the blueprint. And so I got a trainer. Um, I got a trainer that like travels with me, stays with me year round. Uh, I just started putting in countless hours and time. And here's someone who uh, saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And so what we started doing, we started watching film. I started getting into taking care of my body. And the, the mindset and the mentality became everything that the best players in the world have, I'm going to make sure I have that. So if I had to buy my own business class ticket, sometimes I was willing to do that. If I had to get uh, go and find my own hyperbaric chamber somewhere in the, in the city. I was going and doing that. So I just made it my mission that there's nothing that I'm going to look and do research on that LeBron or Durant or any of these guys have or had that I'm not going to subject myself to. And the results are real. I mean, these guys aren't just great because they wake up great. I mean, obviously they have some, some gifts, um, natural gifts, but these guys work and they invest time into themselves. And once I bought into that, um, you know, as long as I wasn't injured, you're, you're right. I was, it was, I was unstoppable for, for a long stretch of time. Yeah. And you're 37. And although my, a minor calf injury here at the end of the year, you told me you're going to keep playing. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I, you know, I, I, um, I've always said, uh, I, I did an interview, um, recently I was out, my team was playing in the, in the playoffs and the guy asked me about retirement. I was telling him I'm too good. I'm, I'm still too good to retire. Like, it just, yeah. To me, to to have you know this much meat on the bone, it doesn't make sense. And so, but the real reason, to be honest with you, is um at this age, I haven't haven't played this long. I do understand now that there's a finite time uh, with with the game. So, and and I know that once I say that's it, it's over forever. So if that means I have to go until forty, and you know, I can give the same level of uh, dedication to the game, then, then I'll do it. I don't have a problem with it at all. And this is great. Uh, I got so many questions in my head I want to ask you, but let's go back to Russia. Russia's okay. a unique place. Yeah, it's one place I haven't been, so I have to admit I haven't oh, been. Oh, yeah, you got to get there. I'll give you a couple of restaurants to eat. All right, sounds good. <laughs> when, 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 we, when we hear of Americans playing in Russia, one of the first things that comes to mind is, uh, well, they're going to get paid well. We know that. Uh, but also, like, what's the uniqueness of, of, of like you did it a couple times of playing in Russia because uh, an average American fan doesn't even know there's pro basketball. We know differently, obviously, but just what it's like to, to go to Russia. So Russia is um, Russia will surprise you, as you said. Like guys typically do earn a little bit more. So the first thing you know, your contract is a little bit higher than the year before. But the thing that the life in Russia does is they cater to their climate. Obviously, the first thing every the first thing everyone wants to say is, oh, man, it's cold. It's Russia, blah, blah, blah. But Russia caters to this lifestyle. Like so from a lifestyle standpoint, um, everything from indoor theme parks and water parks and uh, the amenities with your um, within your homes and and the facilities and different things you're able to use. I was I was really impressed at how nice a lot of those things were five star restaurants everywhere. I mean, uh, you know, your team there, like obviously Moscow isn't the, a great city for an American that's never been and can't understand the language to drive. So 
of the team give all the foreign guys drivers. Um, you know, for so the whole time I was in Russia, I was I'm getting driven around, and uh, I mean, you just have a uh, so you different LeBron basically. <laughs> a version. Listen, there's nothing that LeBron had that I didn't have in Russia. That's <laughs> and that's the truth. So yeah. and that and that that really um, surprised me because these guys they were they really were investing and had uh, the the best uh, for their teams. And so I, I was uh, the class that you live the the lifestyle combined with the amenities of Russia do set it apart from other places in Europe. What's the craziest thing that happened to you in Russia that you can think of? Mm. Okay, so there's there's two things that uh, <laughs> that come to mind. So um, the first thing is um, I, I maybe it was my second year. Um, so a lot sometimes in Russia, you know, the money money wise, they will pay you in cash. So obviously, if um, you know if <laughs> if you're in a seven figure contract, that's you know, but in you know, for a month, that's that's a lot of cash carrying around. Sometimes they may do it two or three months in a row and, and you know, not even let you know, you know, that is that is coming. But so here's the thing, right? So but when they when they give you cash, you have a relationship with the bank and you have a translator and a security guard that goes with you to uh it goes with you to the bank to to transfer your money. So uh one time we got paid in cash and uh I was going to the bank and the translator's name is Anna. And so I met the um um, you know, like now imagine now I'm 25, 26 at this time. Now I didn't have Instagram or iPhone or anything like that, you know, but at that time, so like it's my first time ever going to a bank and seeing someone count out money in the um the money machines and everything like that. So it's like it's going through the thing and you know, the lady she's counting and counting it and you know, I'm just sneaking little pictures with my Blackberry and everything. And so finally, uh, but every now and then I notice that the teller is like, you know counting some out and putting it on the side and so she does it like two or three times and by the third time i'm getting like i'm a little frustrated i'm like hey anna what's going on what's going on what is this money that she keeps that's that's my money too right there don't forget that and she's like okay key and then she does it again i'm like anna she's doing something with and so she starts speaking in russian and they're going back and forth back and forth and she's like da 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 okay okay like yes 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 and then so i'm like what's i'm like anna what's going on She's like, I'll tell you in one second what's going on. So anyway, she gives me uh, she gives me my receipt that the other money has been wired. She gives me back the bills that she had before. Actually, she gives them to, to Anna. Um, security guard walks with me. We go back to the car. And so once we're in the car and we're headed back, she was like, we have to go back to the office now. And I was like, well, what, what's going on? She was like, uh, uh, she said that uh, they can't accept any bills that uh, that have uh, either been wet or have traces of cocaine on them. And I was like, what? Wow. I was like, so yeah, she said, I was like, which one is which? She was like, she, she doesn't know. So we uh, take it back to the office and uh, the the team manager, which you walk in his office, there's one big wooden door and behind the wooden door, there's a reinforced steel door. Walk through there. Anna starts explaining to him in Russian, like, this is what happened. Blah, blah, blah. He doesn't speak really good English. So all I see is like, top of his head he's like bald in the crown and he looks up he's like he's like uh money no good money no good and i was like no big problem and so he says oh okay he turns around there's a safe like this big in his office man he opens up the safe there's euros dollars rubles i mean i, I thought i was gold coins i mean <laughs> so he takes the money he's like he counts it and then he throws it down on the side of his desk and then counts out get grabs it counts out the other bills and he's like oh, okay go 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 and i was like yo that's so that was that was like one of the, the strangers you know Rob, robbie hummel told me he was so nervous when they gave him cash in russia because when he'd go back to his house he was afraid he was going to be hijacked by the, <laughs> by the team owner by the team owners right right right, right right hey are you that those thoughts do go through your head so i, I can relate to robbie seriously, seriously. yeah uh, that that's yeah. great all right so now tell me this um one of the things we talk about on this podcast is that is the Euro League and how good it is. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. Tell me what makes the Euro League. Now we know there's great players, and many of them can play in the league, as you know. What right. when you when you played it, you you're one of the best players for a decade in the Euro League. What right. made what makes the Euro League so special? Okay, so here's a, everybody at the Euro League level knows how to play the game. I mean, and when I say knows how to play the game, they know 
what, you know, the hockey assist is. They know when to flash for the high low. They know about reverse pivots and they're able to follow scouting reports and play pick and rolls one way if the guy's going left and play a pick and roll differently if the guy's going right. And you have that scouting report for five different guards that play for the other team. You know what I mean? So like everybody's able to process information, first of all, on the court, which which makes the which makes the game that much more difficult. And now you take out uh defensive three seconds and things like that. These guys know how to clog up the lane. They know how to body you. They know, you know, they know different ways to uh to impact the game without their athleticism. And so I think that's one way that the EuroLeague and just the, the European game in general can be difficult a lot of times for Americans that are just being exposed. Um, secondly, I would say that uh, I'll, I'll give the story about Luka Doncic to, uh, to explain this. Um, and Luka was at Madrid. I was playing in Russia at the time at a team called uh, Unix Kazan. And, uh, you know, everybody knew about Luka. He's sensational. He's doing all these things, young guy. And I tell you what, like, a lot of people see Luca now. Like Luca really wasn't playing like that in Europe, the way he's doing now. But the one thing about him at his age, 17, 18 at the time, I don't I don't remember exactly what he was, but we played against him and the guy maybe had seven points, six rebounds, seven assists, four or five steals. And he dominated the game with grown men without scoring, you know, without a, a high level of scoring. And so um when uh, when people talk about, you know, what he's doing in the NBA, I say no. Um, the difference between him and a lot of these young kids is that the young kids in America, they dominate the game by scoring. And so scoring takes, you know, pretty much, you know, being a little bit faster and taller and more athletic. A, a lot of times it, it takes that. But this guy being able to do that um, sets himself apart from maybe some other Americans. So saying that to say typically that's um, in, in Europe, that's the difference. At the highest level in Europe, that's the difference. Like I can dominate and win the game in a way besides scoring. So, you know, but, you know, obviously scoring in the NBA is, is, is different because in the Euroleague, you know, we're not scoring as many points, but like having, having that advantage is, uh, is, is, is really serious and impactful. You know, when I think of European, when I think of Euroleague, like you were, you were the, you were the top scorer in the Euroleague two different times. The Alfonso Ford Award, who was a great player, was tragically killed early, you know, in his life. And so they honored him. But, you know, a good night for you is 18 points, right? I mean, I'm just saying. You're one. I mean, and Luca, the thing about Luca, he said this when he got to the league, it's easier to score in the NBA than it is. It's easier to score. Yeah, yeah. I still, I don't, I don't believe that. I had a couple Spurs practices that say otherwise, but maybe <laughs> Luke, maybe yeah. Luke, Luke is just, Luke is just special. So, but no, I, I, but I get it. I, I've heard that. I've yeah. heard that a lot. Heard that well, a lot. it's a longer game. Yeah. There's more possessions. Ports, yes, exactly. Exactly. Like literally, I mean, I don't I don't think like I guess not. No, nobody knows what it's like to literally play a game. And and uh, I've been in the playoff series, uh, Maccabi, Tel Aviv and Panathinaikos. And literally every possession up and down the court, there is a tactical aspect. There there are no I mean, depending on what era and what coach and what system and what country uh, there is no. There is no movement without, you know, a, a plan behind it. There is no freestyle. There, there can be situations like that. Now, other coaches do have other philosophies, but these games are are meticulous and and planned in a way that you really have to be in focus. Yeah, no, that's that. I, I can tell that. What um, we talk about this on the podcast. We've had a number of people who've been part of the Panathinaikos or Olympiakos rivalry, right? Yes. Right. You know, some people compare it to Duke, Carolina, and I say, yeah, times 10. <laughs> times 10. So yeah, tell, us, tell us about like the crazy rivalries. That was one that you participated in. And yes. Why, yes. why those rivalries are so important to the, to the, to the city? Okay. So in, in Europe, uh, it, you know, people have favorite players and players are legends and things like that, but it typically goes uh, club coach then player in Europe. That's that's pretty much the hierarchy. So when you have teams that are traditional powerhouses and traditionally been around maybe for a hundred years, it doesn't matter what is going on. Like the the fight and the passion is about the club and how long the club has been around. So come to a place like Greece, Panthenaigos and Olympiacos, like these guys, I mean it it goes beyond that into into soccer. 
Um, it's, it's a huge robbery. And so, and then taking into consideration, then you're into a place where like the facilities aren't necessarily like in the States. Security is at a minimum. There's no rule on smoking and there's no rule on, there's no, uh, there's no x-ray machine, you know, there's nobody standing with a wand and, you know, beeping everybody in or anything like that. So, I mean, so what you end up getting is, you know, 18,000 18, on, you know, or 20,000 or whatever it can be in a night. And you're getting flares and stink bombs and lighters and quarters and, I mean, everything through spit. I mean, everything. And there's, they have to put a big net where they have to start doing it, big nets up around the court. Then uh, there's been instances where those have been burned down. I mean, there's lasers in your eye. Like, there's really no rules. And the only thing they do is get reprimanded after the game and get a small fine, but it never stops the, the fans from going crazy. So it's it's really an intense atmosphere, and I'd encourage anybody to YouTube that. Yeah, so I, I don't want to make make fun of what's happened in the NBA recently with some of the fans coming out. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, but the- Wow. Guy like you must say, hey, they don't even know. They don't have an idea. Oh, man. They, they, they don't have an idea, man. I, it, it was unreal to me. Like, I guess I was like, I, I was so close to um, tweeting something. Because I was like, this is this is unbelievable. I just, I was on the verge of like breakdown. Because, I mean, a little popcorn or a little, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you don't even feel it. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's all they, like, I mean, I've had tomatoes and vegetables thrown at me by the home team. So, I mean, that don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, burgers and fries, everything. So, all right, what is that's, that's minor. <laughs> all right. What I love about EuroLeague is is not only the great talent, but also the great tactics, as you mentioned. Yes. Every yes. position yes. is like a chess match down the floor. And, right, right. Every, and everybody just uh, – everybody is um, the, at the highest level. You have to be extremely selfless. Selfless. And even I, I had I had a coach tell me one time that uh, Keith, you have to be selfless to the team by being selfish. And I was like, so what? Like, but he said you score. So, but everybody looks at scores as like it may be a selfish thing because you have to shoot, but it's the best way that you help the team. So it's it's understanding all of these concepts and understanding these different things and what you bring to the table. Like mentally, you have to be at such a uh, a higher level than than the rest of Europe to to be at the top of Euroleague. You really do. Yeah, no, I I agree. I love watch. I lo- that's why I love the Euroleague so much because you uh you see so much. And by the way, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you, you notice? I have. If you have, if you haven't, let me know. All mm-hmm. these influx of guys that have come over to the NBA now, but the Bogdanoviches and some of these guys you played against. A lot of these guys. Yes. The, yes. the style of play in the NBA is becoming almost more European, right? With spread picking. Well, one hundred percent. I recognize it. I recognize it every night when I when I watch. Uh, I can remember my, one of my coaches in in Russia telling me that uh, Jay Triano, when he was the coach at at Toronto, he was coming over all the way back then, and the, the main offense they were running. He was talking to my coach. He was. They were running our offense at the time, and so that that influence is is there, especially with that. With that spread, that spread shooting big man, I mean, that's that that changes it all. People think like it's something that like just started with Dirk, but literally every four man in Europe has to be able to to do that, to to play offense. There are no there are no back back to the basket has been kind of dead over here for a little bit longer. Yeah, I know I noticed uh, we we're we're teaching a lot of pick and roll to coaches over here now. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh we're teaching that four corners concept. Two guys in the corners. Two in the slots, and then a ball hand, you know, ball handler, and a big man, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. And then, it, and then it becomes kind of pitch and catch out of that. And uh, but yeah, that's that's the main concept. That's the main formation. Do you remember when uh, Quinn Snyder was the assistant in in Seska uh, at all? He was with uh, Coach Messina. I don't yeah, know. I, yeah, I remember that. Of course, yeah. I remember. It, it was it was crazy because I, I was like, man, somehow Quinn keeps like we keep getting weaved in and out of each other. <laughs> we played against each other in Kansas, Missouri. Um, then he coached me in uh in the in the D League. Yeah. And then we end up in Europe. We we're in Europe at the same time in the Euro League. Okay, like he left he left me and went to Utah, but okay, like I <laughs> that's that's about where it stopped. But yeah, he's yeah, man, I do remember him. What do you think he learned from uh like you know, now they, they kind of play a European style to jazz with, with European yeah, heck players. Yeah, they do. Right. What, yeah. what what do you think he learned from being over there that you know that short period of time? You know, I I think coaches uh coaches always had like a, 
uh, outlook or like he was just willing to be open to what was going like even in the d-league when we're all like chirping ideas and stuff he's not like shutting us down like he's kind of like open and listening and kind of like taking it in and I just think man him being in Europe and and it seemed like you know he fit in and he wanted to stay longer I mean I but he had a great opportunity back in the States but I, I just think he really soaked it in and I mean I think that's just indicative of you know pretty much who he's been um, yeah. his, his entire career yeah no I agree with you I forgot I I, I did have to I, you know I, I coached the last you were gone but the last Last win at Missouri was the night that Christian Moody missed those free throws. At uh, was at, it? Yeah, it was his last win because Thomas Gardner had forty three in overtime that night, and unfortunately, Coach. Ooh, Spencer, okay. Yeah, he got fired like a week later, and we, you know, we've been friends. <laughs> but, uh, I remember that night. I did. I did that game. I wore a blue shirt and a red tie in Mizzou Arena. Which was well, a oh man, I know that, that was a mistake. I know they gave it to you. I know they gave it to you. The next time to... I was there, they gave me a black, <laughs> black and gold tie. So you know, I uh, okay. All right. You know that they're, they're going to play again this year. Yeah, I know that. I know that they are okay. going to play. Right. Yeah. I know you'll be, you'll, you'll be. Right. Who knows? You'll be in Athens watching that game at like you know middle of the night or something. Oh yeah, trust me, man. I, I'm I'm so glad they brought that back. Wherever I am, I'll be tuned yeah. in. All right. So a couple last questions. Is we appreciate it. Kansas fans are going to be excited when they. They know that you're still rocking and rolling and having a great career. When you're done playing, is it Dallas, Fort Worth? Is it Lawrence? Where are you where are you going to make your home when you're? Well, I'm, I've been in yeah. I've, I mean, I've I've been in Austin for the last thirteen thirteen years. Uh, wife is a youth, wife is a UT grad, um, and so we connected during that time that I was between the Toros and the Spurs. And uh, Austin is Austin is where I am. I love living in Austin. It's a uh, I can still be a Texan, but feel like I'm not living in Texas. You know, like I love the the atmosphere and the vibe of Austin. So I'm I'll, I'll be there. Um, and when I stop playing, I'm going to uh, just you know initially, you know, since I put myself in a position that I don't have to work uh, right away, like I want to invest some time into my family, time time that I've I've missed and time that they've sacrificed. So I want to spend the first year or so um, doing that before I really decide and like put my claws in. The, the next next chapter. That's great, man. And then and bat basketball maybe in your future, possibly if you yes, can. yes. Um, I do I do not want to coach, but I like I just like some kind of like consulting, like working individually with players and their mentality and uh, game approach and things like that. So if I can find some kind of niche somewhere for something like that, uh, possibly media. Yeah. Um, um, I'd, I'd like to uh, let me know. You can take my place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah okay yeah. all right i'm rec- i'm recording too so i remember you said that oh no 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 i'll tell you i've done that yeah. i've done that with a number of guys in your case who want to get into this we've uh wow I mean, awesome awesome yeah yeah so when you get back you know we're just a live podcast i mean it's we're not live but people will hear this but when you when right. you come back to the states we'll do a little uh tutorial Oh, that's great. I, I just don't want to, I don't want you to know how easy this is because yeah, <laughs> right. this is like stealing. This right. is like stealing. One more thing we got to ask you because okay. um, you're in Greece right now. You're playing for you know one thing about Greek basketball is they're not as reliable when it comes to like paying <laughs> right. that right. paying that money like Russia was where they just go into right. the safe exactly with the exactly. mafia. Right. I didn't right. you didn't say that. I said that. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, right. Tell me about Greece and what the one pitfall is. Like every now and then, like you're waiting for that money to come in, right? That's exactly. And uh, in, in places like Greece, uh, it's probably more than every now and then. Uh, so here's the other side. Here's the other side about Europe. Um, you know, just like I told the, the the money machine, there there are places that you know. One thing guys have to understand about Europe is that they don't uh, revolve on the same. Uh, revolve on the same bit of ethics and, and morals when it comes to business. Um, and so the mentality um, that I tell Americans they should have all the time when they come to Europe is that uh, the European contract is guaranteed as long as things are going right. So, um, you know, a lot of times, depending on the organization and the place you are, the there could be issues depending on the results, depending on your level of play. Um, that for some reason, it's ingrained in the culture of, of low level uh, European basketball. And so I say low level, like I, I mean mentality, you know, because I've been, yeah, you're right, right, right. No, 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 obviously, yeah, yeah, no, no. So I mean, now while, and the thing about it, most finances aren't tied to, uh, 
to ownership. They're tied to sponsorship. So even uh, occasionally, even in the EuroLeague situation, there could be, I mean, maybe a little bit of delay, but for the most part, you know, these guys are, are, are a lot, uh, you know, tight, Trump tight. So, um, but yeah, in, in Greece, you know, right now, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I made the decisions I made coach, um, during the early part of my career to go to Russia and stay there for five years and, and really grind. So at, at the end of my career, it was more about, you know, quality of life and comfort as opposed to being in a situation where I need on a regular basis, you know, certain jobs in certain countries, for example, a country like Greece is better for a guy that's on his way up, who needs a platform to make a name. And for a guy at the end of his career who wants to live in a nice place, still play at a decent level and kind of phase his way out. It's not for the in-between, you know, uh, trying to make the, the meat of your career, the meat of your uh, finances and things like that. So, but that's why it's important to have an agent uh, who's well-versed or some kind of mentor who can guide you into these decisions with these different countries, different coaches, because they all mean different scenarios from style of play to level of business to the amount of money you can be paid. So that's that's a real key. And it's one thing that hopefully at some point I'll be able to create some kind of platform to give guys a good like guide geographically how to deal with those things. Yeah, well, if they listen to this podcast, they've learned a lot already. So uh, we, we- Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, Jayhawk Nation uh, lo- still loves you. Uh, they now they now have a recent college graduate. I know you'll be. Uh, I'll see you. I'll see you in Allen Fieldhouse. I'm sure when you're retired. Yes. 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 Down in Austin, and um, I don't know how long you're going to keep going, man. But keep it up, and um, we'll keep following you, Keith. Thank you for being on. I, the- I, pre- I appreciate it, Coach. Thank you so much. And as you said, I, I will definitely be in touch when I when I get back stateside. Thank you so much for having me. Many thanks to my good buddy, Keith Lankford. Uh, time flies. I remember when he was playing for Roy Williams and Bill Self at Kansas and uh, continue success. Stay healthy, Keith. Uh, I know you want to keep keep going strong and you will. Uh, hope you enjoyed that, folks. Really great insight. Great honesty uh, from Keith about playing as an American player in Europe. If you enjoy what we're doing, uh, remember, uh, subscribe to the Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you can get your podcasts. We're there. Uh, keep in mind that you can uh, download the SiriusXM app. Go back and listen to all 53 of our World of Basketball podcast. And a special note, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, uh, but I will be part of NBC's Olympic basketball coverage. Really excited about that. Thank you to ESPN for loaning me out. And thank you to NBC Sports for uh allowing me to be part of my second Olympic basketball tournament. So I'm looking forward to that. And as always, I am looking forward to next week, bringing you to another place in my world of basketball. World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. Sound designed by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. A special thanks also to Sirius XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Mr. Steve Cullen. Sirius XM Podcasts.